Welcome in, everybody, to Keon Sports. Today, our guest, uh, very special, actually, Mark Miro. You guys know him from the world of professional wrestling. He's got some great things going on today as well, though. We're going to try to talk to him about all that. But before I talk too much, I want to welcome him in. Welcome in. Thanks, Vince, for having me, man. It's good to see you. Absolutely. I wanted to have you on because you're doing a lot of positive things. So, you know, really, before we get to your wrestling career, could you kind of touch on a few of the things you have going on today? Well, you know, it's hard to even say this, man. I, to, to believe this, I should say, is this is my 16th year, uh, a company I founded called Champion Choice, a nonprofit organization where we travel all over the world and speak at schools and and, and corporations, and but mo- mainly to students, uh, middle school through college. And uh, it's been a powerful uh, experience, uh, helped a lot of people over the years, and it just seems to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, that's a very important age. You know, when you look at probably the ages of 13 on, 13, 14, so seventh grade, eighth grade, up through college, I mean, that's a big deal for a lot of kids. A lot of pressures. Social media now is bigger than ever. And there's, there's pressures coming from everybody. So your positive outlook, what you're doing is, is just amazing. So I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, and again, before we get to the wrestling, how could people follow you on that format? You know what? Uh, anytime you Google my name, my, my name is Mark, M-A-R-C-M-E-R-O. So it's Mark with a C. A lot of people Mark with a K, but you'll find me very easily. I'm on all the, all the platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, TikTok, uh, YouTube channel has quite a few subscribers where we put a lot of positive messages out and you can go see me there at uh, youtube.com forward slash the Mark Merrow. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. All right. So, Hey, speaking of which, I'm glad you, you mentioned how to spell your name and pronounce it because one, one of the earliest memories I have of you, quite frankly, I, I loved you as Johnny B. Bad. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Loved everything. Johnny B. Bad, but it had to be three seconds into your WWF career, maybe four seconds, and Todd Pentengill butchers your last name. So how do you, <laughs> I'll never forget it. I'm like, wait a second. How do you actually, you, you pronounce it Marrow, correct? Marrow, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you were Morrow for about four seconds. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. I'm like, what's he doing? I'm like, I don't think you pronounce it that way. But regardless, I did want to ask you to start this off, though. Um, you're obviously still in great shape. How did, uh, you know, because I, I looked, you know, did some research before wrestling. You had a hell of an amateur career. We knew about the boxing because they, they put that in your gimmick a couple of times. You're, you're boxing, but you also did other things in high school and everything else. How did that help you transition into pro wrestling? You know, my first love was pro was was hockey. I, I loved hockey. Um, I played hockey all the way up to juniors. And of course, uh, I played football. Uh, our, our, our high school football team won the state championship. So I was real instrumental in that. Um, I, I guess just being athletic, you know, being into all different sports, whether it's hockey, boxing, football, I even played lacrosse. Uh, so, you know, playing different sports, it, it was really strange because I didn't, I didn't sign my first contract till I was 31 years old. And when I was 30, I had a bunch of friends over my apartment and one of my buddies was flipping through the TV channels and he landed on professional wrestling. And I just remember just saying, hey, guys, I can do that. And they busted out laughing on how these guys will pick me up over their head and throw me right out of the ring. <laughs> I said, no, I'm being serious. Another friend of mine said, 
Mark, you're 30 years old. What are you going to do? Start a pro career now? And that just got the, I guess, the, the engine roaring, man. I just believed in myself. And I found out where there was a wrestling school. I was living in Venice, Florida, and there was a wrestling school run by the Malinkos, uh, Boris Malinko's sons, Joe and Dean. And um, so I'd start going there on, on weekends or after work when I could. I'd drive up there. And just one year later is when I signed my first contract with WCW as the character Johnny B. Bad. Now that's something else too, because Johnny B. Bad, and this show, this shows how far we've come as a society, quite frankly, here in 2022. But at that time, okay, flamboyant characters, men who were who were more uh, glamorous or, or uh, known as handsome, right? They didn't. They were they were heels. They were bad guys. Yeah. So even though you came in with every intention to be a bad guy, to be a hill. You, you ended up becoming a massive baby face. What was it about that character that you think fans took to and said, hey, we're not going to boo this guy? You know, it, it was one of those things where Dusty just gave me a lot of leeway to make it fun. You know, he was such an entertainer himself. So he saw a lot of the character, for, you know, in him that he wanted me to portray. And uh, I tell you, been some of my fondest memories of wrestling was, was when Dusty Rhodes would get to the arena early with me and work on how I'm going to walk and talk and be this character, Johnny be bad. And we had so many laughs and so many good times. Uh, but I, I just kept making it more and more fun, you know, with whether I was throwing a Frisbee or bring out the bad blaster or, you know, just coming up with, with, with taglines, you know, I'll kick your booty with my two. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about it. And it's funny you mentioned dusty because we had uh, Marcus Alexander Buff Bagel on the show the other day, and he actually said something about Dusty Rhodes uh, kept complimenting his teeth. And he said, your teeth are uh, way too nice to, to ever be anything but a baby face. So just just a, what they call Dustyisms, right? So I thought that was kind of funny. But um, moving on, though, you know, you, you were doing very well. OK, you were you were you were there at an interesting time because in 1994, during the summer of 94, they brought in some really big names. WCW did, you know, guys like Hulk Hogan came in in July, then Randy Savage closer to the end of the year. These were big names, but it didn't curtail the run that you were on. How do you feel about that? Because this was at a time when it would have been easy for WCW to kind of push people out, which eventually they did. But for you, you continued to excel, even though the big names were there. No, I, I think it, because it was such an, an there was such an energy about Johnny B. Bad, and you, if you notice, I've done a lot of opening matches for pay per views yes. to get the fans involved and get it get it on an upbeat note. So that was always uh, knowing that, and, and you know, it's like I remember wrestling uh, Diamond Dallas Page. Like we wrestled a lot of opening matches, and our our thing was we are going to have the best match on the card, you know. So we put so much effort into with you know they only maybe gave us twelve minutes or something. Right. And in 12 minutes, we said, we are going to tear this house down, you know? And so, and we, and we tried to, and we, we uh, sometimes really did a great job. Well, I thought you were phenomenal. I, I'll never forget a match you had with uh flying Brian, Brian Pillman. That's an open, open up match. A card. Yeah. I believe was, fall uh, brawl. Fall, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Fall brawl 94. One of my favorite matches. And Brian was so instrumental in putting that match together. Cause we had to go 30 minutes. Yeah, you did. Yeah, And uh, it was to come up with that many moves and that much, you know, storyline in that time was, was pretty amazing without a lot of rest holds, you know, we were going pretty hard and it was, uh, uh, it turned out to be a really good match. It's tremendous. I'm glad you asked that. And, and for fans, uh, you can obviously see the split screen. He does not have my questions in front of him, but he just knocked off the next two. Cause I was going to ask <laughs> why you were putting so many opening matches. I noticed it. I thought it was electric <laughs> that you were. And the next question was about DDP. So that just kind of cracks me up, but 
you know, to me, this is this is what I've always known about you, not only as a fan, but uh, now as an adult. Right. I mean, I'm 40 years old. I have children of my own. So I look at things a little bit differently now as an adult than I did as a kid watching this stuff. You came across as a character who was respectful, honorable kind of guy. And towards the tail end of your career with WCW, they tried to match you up with um, Kimberly Page. And, and for the, the fans like me at the time, I had no idea that uh, Kimberly was married to Diamond Dallas Page and it was a real thing. I had no idea, you know. So but this is something that I've read cause a little friction for you would you mind talking about that sure and you know it, it was so blown out of proportion because it was just something that what it was is my 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 young daughter she was only i let's see she was what uh seven years old at the time seven or eight she was getting she would see me on tv with another woman and she she thought mommy and daddy were getting divorced Aww. and i simply just came to him and said you know i don't really need a valet johnny be bad got the, the character was already over i didn't need uh, another person. So I simply asked if I could, you know, go on my own and not have to have a valet, uh, Kimberly with me and Kimberly's wonderful. I have nothing. I, I love working with Kimberly, but it just caused, um, it caused a little friction in, in the household. And, um, they, it was kind of blown out of proportion about this whole religious thing and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I just, um, you know, people are going to write and say what they want to say, but from, from the truth is that it was simply asked, if I because it did bother my daughter and, and it probably bothered my 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 wife at the time too, um, so I just was hoping they would do that. But it, I it I understand. Way I wanted. I, I get it. I mean, I have a daughter right now who's eight, uh, another daughter who's five. Me and my wife, uh, very blessed by having two daughters. But yeah, you know, they say well, what's the old saying? Um, you know, re reality is perception, or perception is reality, or some nonsense. Like. And sometimes little kids think that. So I completely understand where you're coming from. No doubt about it. Um, so, hey, take us to wild man, Mark Morrow. So how in the world? <laughs> so, so we go, we go from watching you and, and you were red hot. I mean, you were on fire. Well, you know, it, it was, and again, uh, bringing in my, my then wife or, you know, my, my wife, well, actually, I mean, I was married to, to Rena for 10 years and um, you know, I, I adopted her daughter, Mariah, who's, um, we're very close to this day. In fact, she's coming to see me in two weeks, spending the, the summer with me with my granddaughter. Um, but uh, uh, it was when I, you know, it was, it was one of those deals where they gave, Vince gave me everything I wanted. You know, he would not give out guaranteed contracts. I said, I had to have a guaranteed contract. I have one, I already have one at WCW. And I wanted a signing bonus and I wanted my wife to travel everywhere I traveled. So right. Very uh, unusual request, Vince said. Um, so anyways, to make a long story short, Vince agreed to all these terms. So I was the first one to get a guaranteed contract with WWF at the time. Right. And, uh, it caused a lot of friction, caused a lot of hard feelings. I mean, they just, they just signed, um, Stone Cold and, uh, Mankind to, uh, opportunity contracts. Right. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it was, it was a difficult time, but never realizing it really at the time. And when you look at it now, it's like, I kind of broke the glass ceiling where everybody gets guaranteed contracts now. Oh yeah, he did. And so, fully, he mentioned that in his book. He yeah, mentioned how and, he used you as motivation. Yeah. And, and, and Mick is, gosh, he's love what Mick does. He is, he's just such an amazing guy. I mean, if really there's, there's, there's some wrestlers that really went on after the, after the business and really kept making a difference, not, not just, you know, being, being a, a face for wrestling, but 
being a face for for humanity and helping others and, and, and giving better lives to people. And he's he's given more than anybody even knows because he doesn't promote it all the time. But he's a he's a real amazing guy. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a, a few times. Um, again, you know, I find inspiration in everything I do. Uh, I wrote a, I've written 10 books. I think number 11 is getting published in September about high school football. You mentioned high school football. I'll have to send you a copy because that's actually the biggest thing we do at Keon Sports truthfully is high school football anyways mick foley though when, when i read his book um it inspired me like you want to believe to go out and, and write books like he did so just wow, uh great. like you said it's where the inspiration comes from but hey there's something you said there that again fans i'm telling you he does not have my questions in front of him but you mentioned it you came in during what i call a perfect storm stone cold steve austin foley yourself triple h was starting to rise at that point what, I mean, how tremendous was it? And I wrote down a few of those names that you mentioned, Foley, Austin, Triple H. What was it like working with those guys? Because that's when everybody was in their prime. Um, you know, the guys I wrestled the most in my career are um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H because we were in both organizations together. Right. We had runs in both organizations. We wrestled over well over 100 times, you know, maybe even close to 200 times. And then, of course, uh, DDP, because I wrestled them so much on the road when I was with WCW, when we were doing, we, we had a long um, feud going. So we were constantly doing pay-per-view after pay-per-view. And so, and during that feud, we were on the road together all the time, wrestling each other. So we had a, a heck of a lot of matches. So those three are probably the guys I wrestled the most. And then throw in... Um, uh, uh steve steve regal and sure. um uh gosh they, they put me on the road with with guys that when i first started to, to teach me how to wrestle you know i was so green when i first came in you know remember that i just was wrestling a year when i signed my contract uh you know or learning how to wrestle anyways but um i had some great matches with with all all those guys i mean um stone cold king of the ring was 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 amazing Absolutely. Um, Brian Pillman, Fall Brawl, DDP, many of our pay-per-views were, were very, very, very good pay matches. You, um, you had so I, I got match. to wrestle some of the best, you know. I mean, I was there at the Attitude Era. I wrestled The Rock and, you know, Undertaker and you, you name it, and, and Ric Flair and, you know, wrestled all these guys. Sting when I was with WCW. Uh, so all, when you think of it, some of the top guys in the world of professional wrestling, so many were there in that Attitude Era. And I was fortunate enough to wrestle many of the top guys and, um, and have some great matches. You were. And, and that's the thing. I think you should be in the WWE Hall of Fame based on everybody that you shared the ring with. Everybody got over just just tremendous. I mean, I, like, you can probably tell from the background. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so where we are Northeast Ohio based, but I'll never forget the gun arena. And I still called the gun all these years later, 96 SummerSlam, you and Goldust. And, and, and just how tremendous that match was. But I wanted to ask you, so you're, again, you're on fire, this red-hot baby face, you're IC champion, everything's going good. Unfortunately, you you tear, I believe it was your ACL, and, and uh, had it, it take... My, my blew out the whole knee. I ACL, okay. collateral meniscus. I had the whole thing redone by Dr. Andrews in Birmingham. And so I was out for eight months. Yeah. And see, that's where it didn't sit well, because now I'm out getting that big paycheck every week, and guys are working towards what the house show is bringing in, how many people are drawing at the arenas. And at some, some of those arenas didn't, weren't doing real, real well at that time. So the guys weren't making very much money. And of course I'm sitting home with a, you know, rehabbing my knee 
But and, and you know, when you look back at it, it's like you can't blame people for being upset. But now when you really look at the whole picture, like I said, it, it broke the glass ceiling where everybody's getting guaranteed contracts now. Sure did. And you had the foresight to do it. I mean, you have to ask, you have to ask, what's the worst that's going to happen? They tell you no. I mean, not well, only did what you- happened was what happened was three years before my when my first contract was up with WCW, Vince flew me up to New York and I had dinner at his house and oh, he wow. asked me, what's it going to take to get you to come because he loved the character, you know, Yeah. he, um, he said, what's going to get to take you to come to, to WWF. And I said, I got to have a guaranteed contract. He goes, we offer opportunity. We don't give guaranteed contracts. And we had a great meal and we shook hands and, we, and he said, someday we're going to do business together. So three years later, my contract is up again and we go through the same thing. What's going to take? I said, Vince, you know, I got to have a guaranteed <laughs> contract. He goes, all right, I'm willing to talk about that. And then when I threw in the signing bonus and my wife was like, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> but he gave me all three. He eventually gave me all three. And, um, uh, and you look at it, I mean, who'd ever think that uh, my ex-wife Sable would become such a huge star herself, you know, yeah. people didn't even know whether she could walk out in front of an audience and not be nervous or whatever, but she, she really did a great job. She did. And that's where the story picks up. So you come back from injury and, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're slightly turning towards a heel, you know, because they, they had the whole jealousy angle. But also during that time, you were part of the, um, you weren't personally part of it, but you were there during what's called the Montreal screw job. Yeah, I grew I grew up a tremendous Bret Hart fan to this day. I'm probably the biggest Bret Hart mark you're going to find. But that night you're you're still new to the company. OK, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're there less than two years. What was going through your mind when well, that I went down? I was sitting next to Brett in the dressing room, actually, you know, oh, um, okay. when, when he was getting ready and everything. And uh, I just remember thinking, I mean, it was so it was such a shock to everybody. I mean, no, no one no one knew about it. I mean, except the, the people that were involved in it, but sure. none, none of the boys knew about it. And uh, when it happened, I just remember thinking there's going to be a riot. This like there's going to be people hurt really bad because the crowd is starting to really, you know, gain momentum like it's getting bad and of course um you know brett is kind of inciting it because of his anger you know right. so we didn't know whether we're going to get out of there alive or not you know and we've had a couple of those incidents where it's been a really a tough situation but it was just so confusing and like what was going on and then next you know brett punches vince in the face and knocks him out and it's just a, it was a crazy time does it did it give you any trepidation of moving forward with the company? I mean, I was, I was under, you know, like I said, I was under guaranteed contracts. So, right. you know, I'm not going anywhere, but uh, it just, you know, you, you start thinking that this is a little crazy, man. You know, like they, they basically are in charge of your life. You know, they can make you or break you. They can raise your profile or lower your profile. You can either make money or lose money, you know? So, there's a lot that goes that's involved behind the scenes that people don't know about. Um, and then whose idea was it for you to turn Hill upon your um, return? It was, it was just, a, it, I can't remember if it was, um, it may have been Vince Russo's, but it was all brought to us. It was all written out and we, we, we loved it. We loved the idea. Here's the thing that people don't realize, you know, um, she's just becoming a, a major star at this point. And she's now making her merchandise is selling sometimes only second to Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know. Yeah. So and I'm under a guaranteed contract. So whether they beat me every single night, I'm still making the same amount of money. So as a business decision, 
We said, absolutely. I mean, they're they're basically backing up the Brinks truck to our house at this time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why would I say, no, I don't want to do that and, and never be able to, uh, you know, bring her to the stardom that we want. I mean, she, I was married to her, you know? So seeing her, her star rise and mine fall, I was fine with that because of the fact that, you know, you, you, you always believe you're going to be together forever and you're sure. happy and it's my wife. I'm proud of her. Um, and uh, it, it was a tremendous angle. And I just remember how much um, it affected people and people, how much they hated me because of the way I would treat her, but she'd always come out on top. You know, I was always the fall guy and, and uh, rightfully so. And when we were writing a lot of this stuff, um, you know, the handprints for the, uh, those were my hands. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> just like, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> those were on my hands. Uh, but the, uh, uh, all, all the things that we would, would Vince would come up with her ideas, whether she was going to wear a potato sack or something, we would be get laughing and just like, Oh my God, it's gonna be so much fun to do this, you know? So it was never anything like I was forced to do it or anything. I didn't want people to think that or, sure. or, um, you know, to realize the truth, it was, it was all a planned thing that we were all involved with and it drew really well on the ratings on television. Oh, I thought it was tremendous. Uh, I mean, one, one of my favorite things that you did during that stretch was the 1998 Royal Rumble um, where you come out and you're just kind of shadow boxing and, and you're just being the biggest hill possible. Right. I think the it was almost positive Stone Cold comes out, stuns you in the middle of the ring during the Rumble just to pop that guy, you know, because you, you I mean, excuse my language, but you were being an ass. It was just a stare. It was so funny to watch that. And I thought you got the character over to perfection as a hill during that same stretch, though. And this kind of goes back to the first thing I asked you about being an amateur athlete, about being athletic and, and, and doing things before wrestling. You competed in the brawl for all. Yeah. How, how serious were you able to take something like that? Like, what was your mindset thinking like, hey, well, I have an amateur reputation or what, what were you thinking? Oh, I didn't care. I mean, you know, when you think about it, that, that there were so many guys that didn't go in it because they were so worried about getting getting beat. You know, and I, I never had fear of, you know, when, when you get in it, when anyone that's gotten into an MMA match or a boxing match, it really takes a lot of guts to do that more than more than ever getting into a wrestling ring when you know what's going to be happening, you know, sure. and at, at this point in my life, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 40, I'm what, 40, 40, um, 38 or 40, almost 40 years old. You know, I've had, I've had 14 surgeries, you know, I'm not the same guy that boxed when I was a, you know, a 17 year old kid, you know, with speed and agility. And, um, but the whole thing was, if you notice my match, I've had two matches in the brawl for all, and I never really got hit. I mean, I was taking, they, they realized they're just going to take me down over and over again. So, yep. uh, and then uh, wrestling um, um, uh, Bradshaw in, in, in the match that eventually went to uh, the, um, the one that the finals, I believe I, he lost to um, Park Gunn in the finals. Um, uh, you know, the, that was a match I, th I thought I, I was going to get the, decision because we had to go to an extra round we went mm -hmm. three rounds and then they said it's tied let's go to one more round and they gave it to him and either way you know could have gone either way but um but i would have liked to you know fight bart gun because only because of my boxing background i i would have never been hit by those big shots that he was knocking everybody out with and if you notice my other match i never really got hit i'm, I'm i was still pretty elusive of, of my of me getting hit but it was just the takedown i was never an amateur wrestler are you are you still a boxing fan today 
Do you watch it? You know what? It's really hard to watch boxing today. It's, and I'll tell you why it's there. There's so many different champions in every division. Back in the day, you knew the top 10 guys, you know, that were fighting for the heavyweight title, the light heavyweight or middleweight title, or, you know, when Marvin Hagler was there and Leon and and Michael Spinks was the champion and, and uh, Larry Holmes was the champion. You knew all the guys, you know, and today it's like, there's so many championships. When someone goes, I'm the uh, WBO LB something champion. You're like, who is this guy? You know? (laughs) Yeah. And, so I've, I found myself watching a lot more MMA now, you know, I'm, I'm really been a big fan of uh, the, the UFC and, and um, I enjoy, I enjoy that. So, and, and one quick thing too, before we kind of wrap things up here, I'll throw it out there too, as a fight fan myself, it used to be on free TV. So when I was growing up, boxing was on free TV and there was a lot of Americans. Yes. They'd had the, they'd had the big fights on pay-per-view. I understand that. But I mean, right here from Ohio, a friend of mine, Ray Boom Boom Mancini, um, you know, he was on a regular basis on ABC Wide World of Sports, they would call it. And boxing was able to be seen by kids and young adults, even by grownups for free. So that exposure was out there. That's one of the that's one of the things that made it big. Plus the fact a lot of America, I'll say it, a lot of Americans fought. Now it's not so much that. Right. So you have all the Russians and, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, it's awesome. But. The problem is, is that American sports fans are so conditioned now for baseball, basketball, football, and even hockey and MMA as well. So boxing has really taken that back door, but I'm not going to get on my soapbox there. Uh, it's just still one of my favorite sports, but yeah, that's, you hit it on the head really. Um, so why'd you leave WWF? I had, I had three years left on a guaranteed contract. And I just remember it just wasn't fun no more. Uh, my my ex was now going into a lawsuit because the the guys allegedly cut a hole in the wall and watched her dress, and she's suing them. So I had to go with her and and basically just walk away from wrestling. And uh, then she eventually wanted to go back, which was unbeknownst to me was the craziest thing you know that I, I could think of at the time mm-hmm. was that she wanted to go back to wrestling. Uh, but she did. And, um, and that's when we kind of went our own separate ways in life too. Well, during that stretch too, it was very brief. I think maybe one night you were on WCW thunder with, uh, for like a boxing gimmick kind of thing with, I believe Ray Ronaldo, your trainer was with you. Yeah. Ray, Ray was with me with Tank uh, Abbott. We were thinking, I was thinking about going back to, you know, back to the WCW and, um, it was, um, talked about, Eric, Eric Bischoff flew me in for that one night on a private plane and we discussed it, but um, we never came to terms and it really never, it never went to fruition because they really wanted my ex too. Right. They wanted the package deal. And because she was still basically, even though we left WWF, she was still under contract with them. And mm-hmm. of course, WCW would have been sued if they would have done anything like that. Um, one of my final questions for you, this was something to uh, boy, Hard to believe 13 years ago at this point, um, no longer than that, but regard maybe 15 years ago, you were one of the guys when uh, the Chris Benoit tragedy happened, who was very vocal and very intelligent. You know, the one thing I think everybody was, was quick to do was to, to knock professional wrestling or, you know, speak from the, you know, they shot from their hip or whatnot. Some people had axes to grind. You didn't. Every time you spoke during that entire thing, it was extremely intelligent. Why, what compelled you to, to help people understand like the, the mass media who had never seen wrestling understand the, the beating and the, and 
these wrestlers take and, and being on the road and just steroids and just everything that, you know, goes on. Like what, what, what compelled you to, to speak out? I think there's just a few of us that really had to speak from our heart because we, we watched our friends die. I mean, we, we were friends. Chris Benoit was a friend, you know, um, uh, Eddie Guerrero. There's so many of my friends that die, even though, you know, what they did was what Eddie, what, what Chris did was, was just horrible, but we were all, no one, everyone was shocked by that, you know, but when you, you know, people don't realize that professional football has a Super Bowl and then they have what, four or five months off before they go back to training camp, right? Bodies rest, they get surgeries, they get taken care of, you know, our Super Bowl is WrestleMania. The next night we're at Monday night raw. Yep. You don't get a lot of rest and you're on the road and we're doing like 250 cities a year. Your body takes a beating. A lot of guys get addicted to pain medication because they want to perform at a high level um, with the steroids and everything else that were involved. And I, you know, I was there all the years I was, there. I was drug tested one time, you know? So it opened the doors now. And when you think back, and I think this is another thing when you look back on my career that, how many guys have really died from drug overdoses and wrestling with WWF or WCW or, or any of the big organizations? It's very few compared to what was happening back then. Yep. And not only that, we now get, um, there's Olympic drug testing, the, the, some of the stricter, strictest drug testing. They also give free drug and rehab to everybody that's ever been in a WWE ring. That's incredible. And that all came from this whole thing. So, you know, a lot of guys hated me or, you know, I was vilified and everything, but maybe it saved a life or two or a lot. You never know, you know, by some, because they had to make changes and those changes turned out to be pretty good. Absolutely. I wanted to thank you for your time. Uh, you know, speaking to you as a journalist, you know, I thank you. And, and quite frankly, speaking to you as someone who grew up a fan, you know, even ever, even a bigger thank you from the, the teenage Vince McKee, quite frankly. So uh, absolutely wanted to uh, ask you one last time to go ahead. And, and plug your, uh, you know, everything you got going on one last time so everybody could take it home with them. Uh, just find me on uh, YouTube, youtube.com, The Mark Marrow. And just type in my name, Mark with a C, M-A-R-C-M-E-R-O. And you'll find me on all the social media platforms. And um, if you heard me from this show, let me know. Okay. Absolutely, guys. Check them out. Thank you for your time. Wildman Mark Marrow. Thank you, buddy. You're very welcome. Have a good day. Thank you.